0: Wow. Okay. Well, there we have it. Uh, hi, my name's is Aaron. Uh, I'm the worship arts pastor here. Uh, at least I have been. Uh, I'm also on the teaching team. And so uh, our engagement pastor, Tyler, and I are going to be tag teaming today. We were doing things a little bit differently today. You probably noticed we've got a much smaller band to just help us chill out a little bit. It's so great uh, hearing you. I love hearing you sing. And um, while I often hear you singing with a big band, it's a lot easier uh, when we strip it down here. So thank you for um, blessing me with your voices this morning. Uh, This is the time of year where we want to be able to reflect a little bit. We find ourselves in a slightly more reflective mood. And we wanted this day, this single gathering at 10 on New Year's Eve, to be a time where you can exhale a little bit. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Uh, but it's also just a lot, right? Uh, and you're probably just all ready to, oh, man. And we want this day to be an opportunity for you to do that. So Tyler and I, we're going to be more a tour guide than teacher today. We're going to take you through some uh, devotional exercises and practices that can help us all uh, reflect back a little bit on where we are and, and set a vision and a course for where we want to be going in this coming year. So how about if I pray really quickly and then we'll, we'll dive in a little bit. Lord, we're so grateful that you do give us this moment and these times and you give us the, uh, the grace of being able to gather as your people to, uh, to humble ourselves before you, to be taught by you, to be led by you, uh, calibrated by the truth of your word and uh, motivated by um, the presence of your spirit. So teach us today. Uh, be the Lord of our life today. In the name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen. All right. Uh, yeah, this is the time of year where we are we're more reflective. We're more willing to maybe think back. Uh, those things are all on the, uh, the news. All the stations are doing their uh, look back at 2023. and We find ourselves doing that um, in our own life. It's also the time of year where uh, gym memberships will quadruple and then um, all get canceled like the week after the Super Bowl. Uh, we we can't help it. We see it coming, but we're like, "Nah." The shiny new you promise is out there with the turning of the calendar, and uh, we all want to grab onto different things. Maybe that'll uh, that'll this will be the year that I do X or Y or Z. And usually by about March, uh, we don't feel shinier or newer. We're just uh, we feel a little older, maybe a little grumpier, rather than happy. Uh, but rather than blow off. New Year's resolutions completely, or just completely buy into them, I'd like to suggest that for the disciple of Jesus, the apprentice of Jesus, someone who's following him, there's a redemptive third way for us to take moments and use them as ways where God can, uh, can form us more into his image. Um, we are designed in a manner that requires and expects these kind of dedicated moments, uh, little uh, altars in our life that we, that we look back on and look forward to as sort of these pivot points for change. Uh, that's just how we're wired. It's how God uh, made us. He's, he wants us to have these moments where we can grieve, we can uh, celebrate. We just had Christmas Eve where we celebrated the the coming of Jesus. I was officiating a memorial service yesterday. And we have these moments where we have to gather. We feel like we need to do something ceremonially uh, to remember and to make changes. And that's just how we are. That's how God has wired us. The Bible itself is filled with examples of this. So in the famous story of Exodus, where God rescues the Hebrew people from captivity and slavery in Egypt, uh, he rescues them miraculously with these 10 plagues. And the, the final one is uh, where he institutes the ceremony of Passover, where the Israelites remember that God, God's judgment passed over their homes because the blood of a lamb was on their doorpost. And what God does after that moment, he resets their calendar. He says, New Year's Day for you will be this day. So that every year you will remember who I am, what I did, and who you are as my people. So God is very intentional about moments that we can remember. And he goes on and he institutes feasts and pilgrimages to Jerusalem. All of these things are formational moments that the people would gather to remember who they are. And they would make commitments to who they need to be. And they would remember who God is. That's just how we are. Jesus himself institutes Uh, The Lord's Supper, what we often call communion, and he reframes Passover and says, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me until and do it in anticipation of my returning. And 2000 years later today, this very day, we're going to share communion together. We are wired to remember and to have days like this. God uses catalysts, uh, these moments as catalysts for change over the course of our life. On a purely rational level, it kind of seems silly. Like, I I don't need a specific day to make a change. Can't I just make a decision and make a change? Well, yeah, you can, and and some of you might be able to pull that off, but it's just not how God made us. You know, like like Valentine's Day. I don't need a day to tell you that I love you, which that's, gals, that's, uh, you probably know this, that's code for I forgot to get you something. Uh, We do. We need days. We need moments where we can uh, be intentional about looking back, looking forward, and being formed, being formed. God is supremely concerned with our formation because it's part of his plan of our salvation. Now, when we think of salvation, we often think of the escaping hell part of it, uh, the forgiveness of sin and the being rescued from hell. Now, that isn't dependent on our works. That's only possible through the person of Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross and the empty tomb. But the Bible describes salvation as much more than just a get out of hell free card. It is a process of becoming more and more and more like Jesus Christ. Our salvation, it got, Paul says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And what he's saying is that you are being, you have been saved from the punishment of sin, but now to be saved from the power of sin in your life now Daily, you must work out your salvation as you are formed more and more into the life of Christ. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Paul is describing the, the moment of salvation and the process of salvation. When one turns to the Lord, that's the moment, turning to the Lord, the veil is removed, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That's when you hear the word in our church, spiritual formation, that's what we're talking about. The, the process that is rooted in Scripture, rooted in the truth of God's word that says that our process of being saved from the power of sin and being saved to the likeness of Christ is a process of us daily submitting to him and being intentional about how we think and how we love and live. That is spiritual formation. Uh, there's some kind of fringy um, progressive movements out there that turn it into this subjective mystical experience. That's not what we're about. We're about using the truth and the, of, of scripture to align us and the power of his people gathered together, all the things that God gives us to become more like him as we're submitted to him. Because static stasis is not an option. You are being formed. You are always becoming someone. You can say, well, that's just who I am. But really who we are is more a trajectory that we're headed for. It's a compass heading more than it's an anchor that we're docked to. Who you are is a place that you are pointed toward. You are always moving towards something. You're becoming more like something, always. Stasis is not an option. Neutrality is not an option. You are being changed. You are being formed every day. The Bible affirms this. Apostle Paul, again, let's go to him. He assumes formation is happening in your life. It's either toward the world or toward Jesus. Romans 12:2, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So there it is, you're either being conformed to the world or you're being transformed by the renewal of your mind in Christ there are three primary ingredients in our lives that form us as people more than anything else. They're the stories that we believe, our habits, and our relationships. And so at this moment, every person in this room is being formed by those three things. There are stories that you believe about how you are, who you are, who God is, how the world works, and they are more powerful than even just facts. They are embedded deep into your psyche, deep into your soul, and they're the controlling reality of your life. And they set the vision for what you do and how you think and how you live. And then it's our habits, what we do every day, sometimes unconsciously. And then our relationships, who we are around. Those are the three things, more than anything else, that will form who you are and are doing it right now at this moment. And so at this moment, at the turn of the calendar, the turn of the year, we want to take today and address these three things, take advantage of this moment that God has prepared for us so that we can use these as counter-formational actions today and activities that we can carry forward from here so that we're not conformed to the pattern of the world, but we're transformed into the image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. So I'm going to cover the stories we live by, and we're going to have some, uh, a little bit of setup and then an exercise. So this is, a, this is an all-play today. It's a participation sport. And Tyler's going to be covering habits and our relationships. So let's stack hands. Here we go. Uh, first, the stories we believe. We are story-oriented people. Now what that means is um, we can be rational. We're, God has gifted us with the ability to receive information and to dissect fact from fiction. But the Bible, psychology, and sociology all agree that brute facts do not change your life. It's only once they are uh, contextualized into a story, a narrative that has meaning in your life, that it begins to change you. Uh, Pete Hughes, he's a pastor of a church in London called King's Cross Church. He says, the story we live in is the story we live out. What you actually believe, the story that you're a part of is how you will actually live your life. That's what will shape you, more than even the brute facts on a on a page or on a screen. Uh, most smokers know the facts about lung cancer and emphysema, but they don't stop smoking unless they believe a different story about their life that doesn't end with lung failure. When, when they can be captivated by a different story, those facts that they've known all along all of a sudden become internalized and they change their behavior. So unless we're able to recognize what the story is that we actually believe and then begin to align it with God's truth, uh, the facts will just stay out here. They're abstract. They're on page. They're on paper. And they don't get in here and actually change us. So that's what we want to do. So formation of our life into the image of Jesus begins with recalibrating our vision. And I'm not talking about visiting an optometrist. I'm talking about how we envision the world and ourselves in it. How we see God, how we see ourselves. All of our thoughts, our memories, our experiences, the relationships you've had growing up, all of those things affect the vision that you have of the world which shapes how you live. In our old neighborhood, Uh, We would go for walks often, and one of the houses, the driveway, uh, the cement driveway, had dog prints in it. And you could trace the path of this dog that happened to walk across that driveway on just the right day, at just the right time, all the way from one end of the driveway to the other. And it was like this little story in the past of this driveway that had shaped its, its current state. And for all of us, we have that. We have those moments in the past that have made little footprints in our lives, and they affect the shape that you are in today. And for us to have those stories change, we have to be able to recognize where they are and where they came from, and then align them to what God says and begin to do sometimes the demo work that's needed so that we can be reshaped into his image. Part of that is filling yourself with good stuff. The Bible talks about meditating on what is true and noble and good and right. So daily, regular exposure to the Bible where you're taking that in. Uh, Good biblical teaching. We try to make sure that we're not just giving you fluff. Um, Good music. Reading good books. Taking in good content. Letting your eyes... Sit and meditate on things that are beautiful and good and true. All of those things help to recalibrate our vision. Another part of that, though, is is starting to filter out the stuff that is corrupting or diluting the truth. Do you have news on five hours a day just in the background? Same channel? It's forming you. It's forming you. It's giving you a vision of what the future is like. It may be giving you an anxious, hopeless feeling of what your part of the world is and your place in it. What's your Spotify playlist like? Have you read the lyrics? Would you recite those to your friends? The algorithms understand our formation, don't they? And they give you what the trend that they think you're moving toward. Make no mistake, what you take in will take you so pay attention to what's coming in to your life because it's taking you somewhere all right so the exercise that's all that's the setup but now let's actually do something about this so today we're going to take about five minutes we're going to go through a specific devotional exercise Uh, it's going to immerse us into God's truth there it is thank you Ted Uh, pull it down for a sec we're not quite there yet thank you you're on it man I love it uh, but before we begin the exercise, it's, it's helpful to examine what our vision is right now. I want us, our vision to be recaptured and captivated. Um, so if you have pen and paper or a pencil and paper to write something down, that's best. If you don't, you can use a device. Just like don't get distracted with it. I know that's almost impossible. Like pull up a notes app or something like that. And I want you to write down. I want you to spend just a minute. It's going to feel like an eternity, but it's just 60 seconds. I'll time it. I want you to write down words or, refla- or phrases that reflect how you see God. And then I want you to write down words and phrases that reflect how you see yourself. All right? I'm giving you 60 seconds. Just write that down. And I don't want you to give the Sunday school answer. I don't want you to give the answer that you know is supposed to be right if you don't actually feel it, if it's not really the controlling reality of your life. Psalm 51 says that God delights in truth in the inward being. So this is the time to be honest with God, not just correct right answer on the test. Write down what you really believe about God and what you really believe about you. Here we go. All right, I know that's painfully long for some people and not even close to long enough for others, but we're gonna move on uh, to the exercise. This practice uh, is sometimes called Visio Divina. Uh, we use Latin words to make it sound more mysterious and sophisticated than it is. <laughs> Basically, we're gonna read the Bible, look at a picture, and, and pray, and that's, that's it. Uh, but we're gonna use an image as a prompt that is going to help us awaken our imagination as we read a passage that might be familiar to a lot of you, uh, but it's going to prompt us to have a prayer dialogue with God and to examine and recalibrate our vision of the story that we believe about him and us. So go ahead, throw it up there. Thank you. Ted. Uh, just, and as a side note, uh, this picture and a few others that are in a similar style, um, we've been redoing our prayer room our gathering room over there and you've probably seen it or peeked in every once in a while and It's a beautiful space that's getting prepared a lot of thought behind it And we're gonna have this picture and several others with these exercises eventually when it's open that you can go through and And take time on your own. So this is sort of a preview of the prayer room today uh, Those of you who are even remotely familiar with the Bible will recognize this scene it's sort of a cool abstract rendering of Jesus walking on the water Uh, out to his buddies, his disciples that are on a storm in the Sea of Galilee. It's night, they're exhausted, they're stuck, they cannot row past the wind, they're struggling. Um, And in Mark's account of this moment, he pays particular attention to the vision that the disciples have of Jesus. Their story that they believe in that moment about themselves The disciples are exhausted, losing hope. The wind is too much for them. And then picking it up in Mark chapter 6, where he describes this scene. We'll read it together here. It's, uh, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. When the disciples first saw Jesus, their reaction was fear rather than relief. It was terror. They had a different vision of God arriving in their moment of exhaustion and chaos than what was reality. And it had to be the voice of Jesus to recalibrate them their vision of who they are and who he is and what's really going on in the moment. So our exercise here is I want you to spend several minutes taking in this scene. I want you to breathe slowly because what you're doing right there, you're just biohacking your autonomic system. Breathing is the only one of those things that we can actually control. And when you slow it down, you just are telling your mind, you're actually hacking into your own Biological system and making things slow down enough for you to think. And I want you to just take in the scene, notice things, observe, let your gaze linger on things, pay attention to where you lock onto. Maybe it's a specific moment, a specific spot. Just take it in. ask the Holy Spirit to show you any place in your life where you are exhausted or overwhelmed. If it helps to write that down, write it down. As you think about that moment, where is Jesus? Can write that down too. Is there a place in your life where you're terrified of the presence of Jesus instead of being relieved? Is there a place in your life where if he was there, you would be more frightened than glad? I want you to listen for his voice telling you who he is saying it is I take heart think about some characteristics of him from the Bible he's full of compassion and loyal steadfast love he's just Now, if you can, close your eyes if this helps. Let him get into your boat. Imagine him with you in the area of life where you're exhausted and overwhelmed. If you're in that boat with him, where is he? Is he in front of you? Is he behind you? Is he next to you? Just... Let the Holy Spirit use your imagination to teach you truth today. Imagine the chaos ceasing because of his presence with you. All right, if you did write some of those things down, compare what you wrote at first before we started the exercise, your vision of God, your vision of you with the picture you had at the end that's forming about God and you. And then we're going to just pray, uh, thanking him for meeting us today in this moment. So let's pray together. God, thank you for meeting us in this moment and any shift. I thank you for the shift in vision that I had. For some things in my life where I just don't think you're really there for me or you're just not concerned. Thank you for the little shift that I saw. Um, But I also know for some people, there's just nothing changed today. And that's fine. God, I'm thankful that you are at least present here as we're wrestling with things. And I do pray that you'll continue to show us our need to have our vision of who you are we are and the story that we believe recalibrated and renewed and aligned with your truth. Thank you for this time as you work on our hearts and form us into your image. Amen. Thanks, everyone.
1: Well, it's important that we start with the stories because as Aaron was just talking about, that really... Um, directs how we live out our life and the practices that we put into application and ultimately then how we surround our community, our tribe, our village, the people that uh, we do uh, this life with. And so as we look uh, to this idea of habits or practices, um, this isn't a checklist. This isn't something that's like, okay, just then, Tell me what to do and I'll do it. That's that's not what God wants from us. I mean, he says very plainly in scripture that you can look really good externally and check off all the spiritual boxes, but it's the heart that our heavenly father desires. Dallas Willard uh, once said, you must arrange your days so that you are experiencing deep contentment, joy, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. And I love that quote because the responsibility lies on us. If we want that in our relationship with Jesus this year, it starts with us because God's done it already for us. But we need to prioritize areas of growth in our relationship with Jesus this year. So we must arrange these, we, we, we do it with everything else that we prioritize, things that are important, whether it's work or school or friendships, family, things like that. No problem doing that, 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 that comes naturally. But when it comes to uh, our faith, uh, sometimes that is just, I get to it if I have time or when I go to church or if I go to a community group or Bible study, but as part of it being just the, 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 the breath of our, our life day in and day out might not be a natural muscle that we're used to using on a regular basis. Another way of, of talking about this is, it's called a rule of life. We all have a rule of life. And when I'm talking about a rule of life, this is what I mean. It's a schedule and set practice and relational rhythms that create space for us to be with Jesus, become like him and do as he did as we live in alignment with our deepest desires. Uh, It's not a set of rules, rather, it's a set of practices, relationships, commitments, inspired by the Spirit. Because what a practice might look like for you in a certain area might not look the same for your spouse or your friend, uh, but how God has wired you and gifted you will give you an idea spirit led on how to live out this rule of life. And there's three main benefits to living by a Christ-centered rule of life. One, it turns our vision for life uh, with Jesus into a reality and not a future reality like when I get to heaven, but we get to experience your kingdom come, your will be done today on earth as it is in heaven. The second thing of benefit is it enables us to live in alignment with our deepest desires And the last, it helps establish the right pace of life, meaning where we experience freedom, discipline, and ultimately a lack of hurry. When we think about following Jesus and and implementing spiritual practices, you have to think addition by subtraction. Because following Jesus with everything in our life, this isn't trying to add another slice of pie to the pizza tin, but we're, we're, we're changing the whole thing here. Because if you're like, well, if I'm just gonna slide Jesus into just this component of my life and compartmentalize him here, then that, that's not loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's like, well, here's, here's the 1 of convenience in my life right now, Jesus, that I'm giving you he doesn't want that, he wants everything. We all desire a vibrant, life-giving relationship with Jesus, but yet so often we settle for a lukewarm faith, one of good intentions that never translate to real life uh, transitions. We don't just drift into a strong, mature faith. In the same way, we just don't drift into a strong marriage. We don't just drift into a really good talent or ability. You practice, it takes work, it takes heart. And there's a lot of failure in attempts, but we fail forward. But here's the thing, when we try to take steps in our life with Jesus and we don't follow through the way we think, we might feel like we're failures, but we're not a failure in the eyes of God because he wants to spend time with his children. And so a lot of times we'll sit there like, oh, it's the beginning of the year. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do the Bible in a year plan. And we do really good. And then we hit Leviticus and we just put the Bible back on the shelf. And we feel like I'm a failure. I can't do this. But God sees it. But, but for that two months of dedicated time with you, that, that was so rich and meaningful to me. Pick it back up and let's start up again. Because when we implement new things and new desires that we want to do, we have to remember, we have to start with where we're at, not where we want to be. Because if we always want to start with the end and that being at the finish line, that's just a byproduct of living in an instant gratification culture. And following Jesus is a journey. And it is long and it is challenging, but it is worth it. And even when we get to spend eternity face-to-face with Jesus, it is not complete in the sense that we have eternity. We get to journey on into eternity with our heavenly father, with Jesus Christ. And so don't think of it, it's just something that I have to do because that is this lukewarm faith. And the hard truth is, is the world does not need more lukewarm Christians, but it desperately needs devoted apprentices of Jesus. There are so many studies out there and surveys that would say that like 70% of America would identify as an evangelical Christian. And you're like, that is so encouraging. And then you look at the news and you're like, where are they? And I think about going into 2024, this is gonna be a charged year. Things are gonna be so magnified in the news and politics and social media that to be anchored into the presence of Jesus on a daily basis, we need to do that now more than ever. Because being a Christian, anyone can throw that title around. But to profess that I am an apprentice of Jesus Christ, that comes with accountability and that comes with proof of action and heart and how you think, love and live like the son of God. Here are some spiritual practices that Jesus uh, talked about in his life and modeled them too. Sabbath, prayer, fasting, solitude, generosity, scripture, community, service, and witness. When we look at these things, these are all great things. And these aren't things that are catered to your personality. So if you're an extrovert, you're like, okay, well, I resonate with those five. We'll let the introverts pick up the other four or, uh, you know, my, my gifting and skill set. I want to do that. Or uh, some of those sound more like a punishment than a practice. And, but Jesus, when he talks about these in scripture, it's not if, but every time he talks about those, it's when you do these things. And so we're, we're not even going to hit the tip of the iceberg today. We're going to do a 30,000 foot flyover of the tip of the iceberg. Because I don't want us to go through experiences and practices today and be like, I did it but this is to create a hunger and an awareness of what a day in the life of a follower of Jesus looks like. And how we can experience the presence of Jesus in our present day circumstances. So let's look at prayer, prayer and solitude. Those are the two we're, we're gonna touch on briefly. Uh, Father Ronald Rollheiser said this, and I love it, there's no bad way to pray and there's no one starting point for prayer. All great spiritual masters offer only one non-negotiable rule. You have to show up for prayer and you have to show up regularly. You, me, I have to show up regularly and I'm the one that has to show up for prayer. God's there. He's waiting. So it's not when we go to prayer, it's like, I hope God's listening. But when we build this practice, It is something that we need to develop. And it's something like you can read books on prayer and see things like that. And you're like, man, I want that. but That's never gonna be me. Well, it takes practice. You have to start from somewhere. And so how do you start? Show up, give it a shot. And this isn't praying audibly out loud around people where you're like, well, I'm not gonna be a good person like that, as, not a good person, but you know, confident pray out loud around families and things like that, but inside our inner dialogue, oh man, we can be so honest with God. And he doesn't care if we flub over our words. He doesn't care if we're just talking in circles. He wants to hear from his children. It's an ongoing conversation, how we align our hearts with his walk, in partnership, sharing our inner lives, listening to his voice through prayer, we come to think, love, and live like Jesus. A rhythm of daily prayer, it seems daunting, but even if you were to take five minutes, five minutes a day, and just dedicate that to prayer. Sometimes prayer is listening, sometimes prayer is speaking, but prayer is not a crisis hotline, it's not just God hears, Here's my emergency, God, here's my punch list, here are my needs, but it's listening. It's adoring Him, it is praising Him, but it's also asking for things, interceding on behalf of friends, families, loved ones, strangers. There is a whole spectrum of what prayer looks like and how we get to intervene and and connect with the divine. But the key is to commit regularly pauses and be fully present with God. I've heard stories of friends that will set a timer at noon, every day it goes off. And so every day at noon, they just pray the Lord's Prayer silently, wherever they are, in the kitchen, at their work desk, at their school cafeteria, in their car. Cause in that prayer, they're thinking through, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I wanna take a moment and just recalibrate your goodness and your faithfulness in my life. Your kingdom come, your will be done, not my selfish desires, not what I want, but Lord, what you need. Would you give me this day, my daily bread, be the great sustainer. Will you help me to forgive those who have wronged me in the way that you have forgiven me? And then I have that hope that you're gonna be with me all the days of my life now and forever. And in one minute, all of a sudden, the stress, the, the, the panic, the craziness of life whew, has been re-anchored into my eternal purpose. So this isn't like sit down, light a candle for 45 minutes and like do that. You can, that's great if your schedule allows it. But for some of us, that's not our, not our life. I know as a pastor, you think that maybe we just sit in our office all day, listen to worship music and read our Bibles. and. I wish that's what we got to do, but that's not. And then this is is something I have to work really hard in building this muscle of a listening heart, a willingness to keep showing up. Moses discovered this. God longed to speak with us face to face as a friend. Adam and Eve experienced this walking in the garden with God every evening. There's no better place and no better way to align our hearts and to live fully alive than through prayer. And it comes through solitude and solitude is hard. It's not a luxury for the mystical or the introspective, but it's an essential rhythm for our soul. And, and solitude and prayer, they, they, they go hand in hand, and yet they're also uniquely different because with prayer, in one way, we're reaching out and grabbing the invisible. But when we practice solitude and we're releasing the noise and the chaos that surrounds us, we're releasing what is visible in our life. And so we have this beautiful tandem of what's invisible and what's visible. And we wanna meet with the divine in that space, that sacred holy space. And so when we think of true solitude, it's not just simply being alone necessarily, but it's choosing to be fully present with God. And that can be hard because a lot of times when we get rid of all the noise and distractions, and we're just left in solitude before God, we're exposed with complete nakedness in front of Him. And a lot of times we are afraid to go there because of shame. We're afraid to go there because of hurt, past wounds. But when we can get to that place where we remove those layers and we are just in the presence of God in reckless abandonment, That's when we get to encounter the Holy of Holies. The God who spoke things into existence loves us and loves you. And so when we think about that, Henry Nowen said, without solitude, it's virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. You cannot pray and not experience solitude in the same way you cannot have solitude without prayer. So what are ways that you can bring solitude and prayer into your life in 2024? And again, this is addition with subtraction. And if you're adding these life-giving things into your life, chances are the things that you are subtracting are the things that are not that, the opposite of. So let's replace the noise and chaos with the presence of Jesus. And so I'm gonna do just a quick um, practice with this. And in fact, if you want, go to the next slide. Uh, if you text new to that number, and I like quadruple check that to make sure, because if I was off by one digit, someone is just gonna get blitzed with text messages today. It's actually Pastor Bill's, so if you have any suggestions for the new year, go ahead and send that right now. Um, but what we have is, and we have a physical handout if you are more of wanting a, a print and paper. Um, is a prayer guide for the new year. And here, here's what it is. Looking back, gratitude. Psalm 107, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. As we pause and we sit in that silence place and we think about that, how did God come through for you? What dreams came true for you? Think about where you were last time. Sorry, think about where you were this time last year and begin just listing out the ways that you have seen God's goodness and faithfulness, both in the good times and in the hard times. And as we think about these things, we make these lists. We're reminded that it's his love and faithfulness is the foundation of the year to come because God is unchanging. And so if he was that for us last year, he's gonna be for that this year. We look ahead with our hopes and dreams. Psalm 139, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God, they cannot be numbered. We get to take time to invite the Holy Spirit and ask him to guide and help us to dream God's dreams for us. What dreams and goals do you have for the year to come? It could have to do with school, career, family, friendships, your walk with God. You think of hobbies, fun things you do, holidays, traditions, all these things we can take into account and we ask God, what are the dreams you have for me this year? And not just for success in this world, but what are the dreams that you want me to be a beacon of hope, a light that sits and shines brightly on a hill in all of these arenas in my life. And so as you write these lists, you make up these mind maps, you draw pictures, do things, whatever you do that help you connect with the spirit in times of solitude and reflection, do that because this isn't just something that you do in five minutes and you're done. But I would challenge you, take 30 minutes, 45 minutes, to really go through this exercise. And then we looked at God with those dreams and asked God, God, I think these are my dreams. What do you think? Because Proverbs 69 says, in their hearts humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Ephesians 3.20, now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. So we say, God, here's where I feel like you're calling me and you're asking me to step into these things. And I wanna start some of these new practices. Help me, show me, Holy Spirit, guide me. Some questions you can ask him are, God, here's my vision. What's yours? Are there, where, are there places in my life where I'm dreaming too small? God, here's my dream. And God's like, that's cute. Let's go bigger. You're selling yourself too short. But you're like, God, that's, that's the impossible. And God's like, oh, I do the impossible. Going back to that picture that Aaron had up earlier of, of Jesus walking on the water to the boat. There's another, that same instance where he calls Peter to get out of the boat. And as long as Peter kept his eyes on Jesus, he was able to walk on water. And as soon as he took his eyes off Jesus, he sank. Don't sell yourself short for what God is calling you to step into this new year. Other questions to be praying about, who is God asking me to serve this year? What is God calling me to trust in him with this year? What relationships is God inviting me to invest in this year? So it comes to this place of surrendering, of yielding, Psalm 37, five. So we commit our ways to the Lord, and we trust in him and he will act. Early this year, I was introduced to this practice, ancient practice of, of the rhythm of the prayer of examine, where every night before you go to bed, you would say this prayer. I didn't do it every night, I tried, but it's four R's. Replay, rejoice, repent, reset. You sit in bed, you replay your day. God, what were the ways I saw you show up? What were the opportunities that I took leaps of faith and I saw you move? And then I rejoice. I say, God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your courage. Thank you for your boldness. Thank you for your patience with me. God, thank you for all the attributes of who your character is that I experience. And then I sit there and then I have an opportunity to repent and I say, God, and here's all the ways I messed up, both that were visible and both the things in my heart and in my mind. And then I'm reminded that God's mercies are new every day. So I get to reset because tomorrow's a new day. The the celebrations, and the, the, the pitfalls of that day do not define how tomorrow's gonna be. Every day is a gift. So I always want to replay, rejoice, repent, reset as I go into my new day. So these are just some practical steps that you can begin integrating today so that a year from now, when we're looking to 2025, you can look back in your spiritual stepping stones and see how you have taken these steps and grown in your faith in Jesus. And last but not least, and this is just gonna be a real brief, but community. Community, it's, it's, it is so important because who we surround ourselves with, shape us, mold us, those are the voices that we listen to. So as we reflect on this past year and we look ahead to the promise of a new one, it's why to it take stock of our connections and our relationships? God designed us for relationship first and foremost with himself. That's why in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven 37 reminds us that we're called to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Our life springs from that primary connection with our creator. And then we're instructed to love others, Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine, 39. And we're not just to love others, but we're to love others as ourselves. And that is hard at times. But when our heart is connected to the heartbeat of our father, we begin to see opportunities to love our neighbor. And that can be our physical neighbor in proximity. That can be a neighbor that is a stranger that we come into contact with. That neighbor can be our enemy. That neighbor can be fill in the blank. There's no asterisk. There's no love your neighbor except. God calls us to love and to love radically. I feel like the people that call themselves Christians do really good at loving themselves. But those that profess to be disciples of Jesus, apprentices of their master, they are known for a radical love. So we assess the health and influence of our relationships. And this is a good thing to do every year. The power of healthy friendships, uh, they have enormous positive impact on us. We feel known, understood by those closest to us. But yet at the same time, we also know that there are unhealthy relationships in our lives. And it's okay sometimes to remove ourselves from those environments. And I know sometimes it's like, yes, but God calls us to go to the ends of the earth. And if I'm not there, then who's gonna be there for them? If they're toxic, if they're harmful, if they're pointing you to anywhere else but Jesus, or they're actually encouraging you to not look to Jesus deliberately, those are not relationships that should be in your life. Proverbs 13, 20 says, walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools suffers harm. And that's that 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 tightrope we walk day in and day out because hear me out when I say that too, we are not called to live in a holy bubble. We are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We are called to live life on mission. And so that means we go to those that are hard to love. We go to those, but not at the expense of hurting ourselves. And so who is God asking you to step into in 2024? And what are the friendships and relationships that maybe you need to take a break from in this new year? And that's okay. Because you will be healthier for it. You will become closer to Jesus for it. And you will be able to be used more by Jesus because of that. So when you think about friends in your life, do they inspire growth, and positivity? Do they foster love, trust, and respect? Are they reciprocal and supportive? Are they life giving or are they just life taking from you? And do they align to God's principles? Iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another, Proverbs 27, 17. Who we surround ourselves with matter. And there's so much more that I can go into this and I wanted to today, but for the sake of time, I want us to take a moment of silence and think about those relationships and to ask God, Lord, when I think about my relationships, how do you want to utilize me this year? And maybe this last year there were more wounds than uh, healing. And so maybe this is a year of healing for you. And you need to seek out a mentor someone to disciple you, someone to to walk alongside the valleys as well as the mountaintops with you. Jesus, I pray that you give us wisdom in how we surround ourselves. The Lord, we would surround ourselves with people who, who love you that lift your name up, that lift us up and support us. And at the same time, Jesus, these would be the same people that would be united in the mission of the cross. And that is to go to the ends of the earth and to see people the way you see them and to love people for the way you love them. And that we would be tangible expressions of the gospel and people would see you in us, the hope of glory. Jesus, I also pray that this year that we would take steps to know you more, to love you more, and that we would show up regularly and we would show up consistently. And Lord, that we would do it with expectations that a year from now that we would know you in such a more intimate and richer way. So Lord, we love you. We pray this in your name, amen. We wanted to end our morning kind of consecrating ourselves, going before the table of the elements of communion and just to say, Lord, this year, I wanna be used by you And Lord, I wanna know you in deeper and more meaningful ways than I've ever experienced before. And we acknowledge that God is at the table and he is waiting. But it's us. And so as we come forward today, we receive the elements of the bread and the juice. The bread symbolizing the body that was broken for us and the juice the blood that was shed for us. No other sacrifice could right the sins of the world except Jesus Christ. And so when we take this and we receive this gift, we say, God, thank you. And in response, I wanna live a life that radically reflects the gospel this year. Not out of obligation, not out of guilt, but out of a joy and deep longing because of the love you have for me and the love I have for you. And when we do that, we get to give of what's been given to us and the living waters that come from Jesus that are constantly conforming us, transforming us, renewing our heart and our mind. When we feel dry, he says, come back and I'll give you more. And so today we come to receive more. So the worship team is gonna lead us in song. We have elements in front, off on the sides and in the back. So whichever is closest to you, come and receive the elements. And when you're ready, you can take them back to your seat and take them on your own and then join us in worship as we conclude our time together this morning.